Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Brother Thomas Gonzaga and Brother Andrew Brabuff as they share about the 30-day silent spiritual exercises. For more information about the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I'm Edward Lugo, the project manager for the Servants, and today I am blessed to be joined again by Brother Thomas Gonzaga. Welcome back, Brother Thomas. Thanks, Ed. It's great to be here. And also today, someone is here for the first time making his glorious debut on the Servants podcast, (laughs) Brother Andrew Brebuff. Thanks, Ed. This is a dream come true. Wow. <laughs> Did I say your last name right? Rebuff, you got it. Rebuff, okay. Brebuff. I just want to make sure. Uh, and Brother Andrew is in his first year of novitiate with the servants. And today he and Brother Thomas are here to talk about the 30-day silent spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, which Brother Andrew just recently did six months ago, seven months ago in October of 2019. And Brother Thomas did last summer. So, Brother Thomas, you and Father Paul already recorded a podcast about the eight-day silent spiritual exercises. And in that podcast, Father Paul covered what the spiritual exercises are. For those who didn't listen to that podcast or didn't pay attention, could you explain what the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius are? Sure. So, as St. Ignatius himself explains... The term spiritual exercise at its most basic level is any spiritual activity whereby we're like raising our mind and our heart to God. So whether that's an examination of conscience, whether that's um, an act of meditation, an own Ignatian contemplation, any vocal or mental prayer, um, we could throw in like praying the rosary. That would be a spiritual exercise. And Ignatius was a military man. So what physical exercises to the body, so a spiritual exercises to the soul. Now, these spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, as they're commonly known, is a bunch of those combined into 30 days of retreat um, where you're entering into the life of Christ. There are four weeks where you journey for 30 days through the life of Christ, and you're doing about four to five holy hours on a daily basis. Um, you are in silence, you're meeting with a director once a day, and all of that kind of combines to make these spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And you said journeying through the life of Christ. Mm -hmm. How does that take place? What's the avenue for that in the exercises? Yeah. So in week one, before you get to the life of Christ, you are kind of meditating on the state of sin from the fall of the angels and the fall of man, and then my own fall into sin, so my condition of sin before Jesus. And you're also meditating on hell. So what is reality without Christ like? That's all week one. In week two, you start to meditate on Jesus' infancy, so his birth, um, and then the life of Christ, all of his public ministry, um, his healings, his miracles. Then in week three, you, you transition into... Uh, Jesus's passion and his death, his suffering for the sake of my sin in that condition that I was in. And then in week four, you are beginning to contemplate all the glorious mysteries, um, Jesus's resurrection and ascension and the great work that he's done for you in his, yeah, in his victory. And these meditations are taking place throughout the four to five 
holy hours that you're doing Correct. throughout the, the entire retreat. Correct. So one hour you'll meditate on the nativity and then the next hour you might meditate on the presentation in the temple, different mysteries of the life of Christ. So I'm really excited to jump into this because, I mean, this is just such an incredibly unique mm-hmm. formation experience, mm-hmm. not just for you guys, but for countless of saints and heroes of the faith throughout the ages. And so I want to jump into it. But before I jump into it, I want to talk a little bit about the logistics of it. Where do you do a 30-day silent retreat where you can be in silence? Because even I think of retreat centers. Most retreat centers are busy. There's people around. There's things happening. Where can you go for a 30-day? Where did you guys go for your 30 days? Yeah, I think in general, it's probably a challenge trying to find a place that not only you can do a retreat, but where you can actually enter into that silence. I was incredibly blessed. We have family friends, the Luber family, and they donated their lake house at Niswa, Minnesota to us for a whole month. And so I went and I had no other directees with me. It was just myself and Father John in a lake house in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota for one month. So I was able to really enter into the silence. And I was really on my own with Father John and with Jesus for 30 straight days. Did you see anybody else for 30? Like, was there, yeah, was there anyone else that you saw or encountered? Yeah, I mean, I rode my bike around and I rode in a town a few times just to make sure the world was still alive and around. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw neighbors around a few times. Uh, But other than that, really, no, I didn't talk to anybody. Mm. And I tried to avoid people as much as possible um, so that I could focus on my exercises. And Brother Thomas, how about you? Where did you do your 30-day? Yeah, I went to Utica, New York. Uh, It's upstate New York, about an hour or two outside of Syracuse. And we found a retreat center that was reasonably priced. And I made my spiritual exercises with Brother Peter and then three other college men. And that was a really great experience. I loved being able to make it alongside Brother Peter and other brother in community and to have, to be able to invite in um, some other people, non-community, as you said, it's such a special um, experience. I'm glad we were able to offer that. So both Father John and Father James were our directors. I think before we jump into what the heart of the, the exercises are, it would be good to talk about silence. You know, I found a lot of people hear the words 30-day silent spiritual exercises, and all that they really hear is 30-day silent, which which seems terrifying, you know, to not talk to people, to be in silence at, for 30 days. Brother Andrew, can you share about what the purpose of silence is? Yeah, this was one of the things I think I was most excited for. And I think most people hear it. And as you said, they say 30 day silent retreat, but it's really so much more for that. The silence is really just a means to a greater solitude and closeness to Jesus. And I noticed this in college where noise just penetrates our mind now throughout the world where you're constantly listening to music or to podcasts or thinking about the last YouTube video you watched, that you really don't actually have time to ponder anything that matters, that you really don't think about your own thoughts, that you really don't actually go into kind of the depths of who you are. I remember when I was studying philosophy, I heard a quote by Blaise Pascal, and he said that all the world's problems can be summed up by the fact that man cannot sit in a room alone by himself for one hour Hmm. because he can't be left to his thoughts. And so I think just the nature of the silence was radically different than anything I've ever done. But it was helpful for me to recognize that the purpose goes so much beyond simply the silence. And you see this biblically and you see it with the saints. You see in the Bible oftentimes before ministry, 
uh, before mission, Jesus drives people out into the desert. And as he says in Hosea, I will lead them into the desert where I will speak to their heart. And so you have Abraham going into the wilderness. You have Moses. You have Israel. King David, before his kingship, spends years in the wilderness. You have Elijah and Elisha, John the Baptist, all these prophets. Uh, but even in more modern times, you have St. Benedict and then St. Francis and then even St. Ignatius of Loyola spending time in total solitude with God by themselves. And they kind of leave that place transformed and almost like a new person ready to do what God wishes them to do. Uh, so it was really a sacred place, I think, that I was really excited, even just hearing the fruit of what it's done in the lives of so many saints. And what was the silence like for you? <laughs> yeah, it was great being in Niswa because I really did get to enter into the silence. I had nobody to talk to, even if I wanted to. And that's kind of the beauty of it, where in the past, when I would get worked up or upset about something, or I'd be excited about something, I would immediately want to tell one of my friends or talk to someone in my family. Hmm. Uh, and now when I got excited about something, I had nobody to talk to but <laughs> Jesus. And so I would tell Jesus about it, or I would tell him what I was worked up or anxious about. But what it kind of led to was more of a constant prayer than I've ever had, where I wasn't just praying during my holy hour, liturgy, the hours, but I was literally spending my entire day with Jesus and talking to him. And yeah, I think the greatest fruit of it actually um, I spent so much time just meditating on my past and meditating on everything Jesus has done for me. And I was meditating on times at Ohio State and retreats I've been on in Damascus and the times in the army and growing up uh, in a small town. And basically God was just showing me how his hand has been in every little part of my life and preparing me and leading me to where I am today, where I'm entering into religious life. Uh, so it was such a blessing for me to be able to commune with Jesus and talk to him, but also uh, to allow him to show me how present he's been my entire life and how he's led me to where I am today. And just to be clear, so the silence, you can still talk to your director. You can talk to yourself. You don't have to like keep your mouth shut for 30 days. Yes, that's exactly right. The, the purpose of it, again, is to be with Jesus. And so since I was by myself, I could sing songs if I wanted to. I could talk mm -hmm. to myself out loud. Whereas if you're with other people like Brother Thomas was, you have to keep the silence for the sake of others. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I was in a holy hour and I was getting uh, really angry or emotional, I could yell or I could cry mm -hmm. and not worry about anybody hearing me, which right. was really helpful. So St. Ignatius is very specific in his wording about the purpose of the exercises. Brother Thomas, can you read that line in the exercises where St. Ignatius states the purpose of the exercises? Totally, yeah. So this is from the very first paragraph in his introductory observations. And he says, um, we call spiritual exercises every way of preparing and disposing the soul to rid itself of all inordinate attachments and after their removal of seeking and finding the will of God in the disposition of our life for the salvation of our soul. So there's really these two main uh, purposes. The first is to rid my soul of any inordinate attachment, um, which might be to myself or to my will or to other people or to the things of this world. And I want to rid myself of that in order that once I do that, I can seek and find the will of God and then choose that will, uh, which will lead to my ultimate beatitude. So <laughs> you talked about meditating on the life of Jesus. Mm. But Ignatius says the purpose of the exercises is detachment so that you can rid yourself of inordinate attachments for the will of God or to, to find and discover the will of God. 
can you explain how spending four to five mm-hmm. hours in imaginative prayer a day helps to accomplish the goal of indifference and detachment in order to be disposed to the will of God? So yes, for four or five hours a day, you are meditating on the life of Jesus. So you are with Jesus who loves you and who wants your blessing, which immediately is going to require some conversion. Uh, He's going to point out to you because he loves you and because you love him, you're going to actually want him to point out to you, what are these attachments in my life? Mm. Um, And so you're going to want, I wanted to rid myself of anything that was a hindrance between me and Jesus. And so seeing him, seeing his public ministry, seeing his, his, his passion that he underwent for me, seeing him glorious in, in his resurrection, I was like, ah, Jesus, I want to be like you. Like, mm. I want to imitate you. I want to love people like you do. Lord, do whatever it takes mm. to get me to look like you. Uh, do whatever it takes, not even that I can look like you, but that get rid of everything so that you can live your life in me. Mm. Um, so that Jesus can live his life through me. And so Jesus says, you know, are you sure? (laughs) Do you really want me to point out those things and take them away? And then what happens is his grace starts to change us. And this is big for Ignatius. He's always saying, we begin every single hour begging for grace. I beg for grace. So once that happens, his grace begins to transform us. How do we find freedom from our attachments? by loving Jesus. Um, Psalm 91 says at the end, because he clings to me in love, I will free him. Because I cling to him in love. How does this work? True freedom is choosing the truth about the good. Now Jesus is the supreme good, so I cling to Jesus, and all the other attachments that I were clinging to have to fade away. So he who clings to the Lord in love will be free. And so then I'm free. Free for what? I'm free to do God's will. And this is where Ignatius's famous motto really comes in, ad maiorum dei gloriam, for the greater glory of God. I'm free that my life may now be in the service of Jesus, the service of the King, the service of the gospel. And um, you're also doing other things to overcome yourself, such as like fasting uh, and other forms of mortification that help to like put to death the deeds of the body so that you can live in the spirit. But it's, it's through encounter and through grace um, and through love that we're free to do his will. Yeah. I think just the recognition as well, and maybe St. Ignatius doesn't say this explicitly, but he would definitely agree that finding that closeness and that relationship to Jesus um, brings about everything else naturally. And Mm so uh, I've worked with so many guys who are discerning and they're so caught up sometimes on what God's will is for my life and what God wants me to do that they forget to actually grow in a relationship with Jesus. Mm. And whenever they're redirected to simply focus on Jesus and his love for them, and they don't even think about discerning, God's will just becomes so manifestly clear in their life. And not only do they know God's will, but then they desire to do it because they want to do anything to draw closer to Jesus mm. and to be more like him. And so I think there's just this realization that there's not really a distinction between Jesus and Jesus's will that somehow they're one and the same. And as I come to know Jesus, I have to know his will. I remember reading about St. Francis Xavier in the middle of my 30 day. And I just remember reading his companions were saying that he was one man when he went into the exercises and he was kind of selfish and stubborn. 
and set on his riches and his nobility. And they said when he left, he was an entirely different man whenever they saw him again Mm. and that he was never the same person. And that's the Francis Xavier we know that went off to India and then Japan. But something happened in those 30 days that changed his life. um, And he was never the same person since. All right. Well, let's get into that. Something that happened that changes people's lives. Mm. Uh, The podcast on the eight day focused a bit more on the annual formation exercise of the exercises in your community. But the 30 day is a one time thing in, in, in almost anyone's life who does it. There's some people I know who have done a couple 30 days. Most of them were spaced out by like 40 to 50 years. So the 30 day is a pretty unique experience. So I'd like to ask you some specific questions about it. As you mentioned, brother Thomas, the, the 30 day is divided into four weeks. And if we can, I'd like to go week by week and I'd like each of you, if you if you want to, to to pick a week and then to share what the focus of that week is and the purpose of that week, and perhaps even just one meditation or prayer experience from each week, so that those listening can understand a bit about what the exercises are like. Yes, I'll take week one. Uh, (laughs) Not the most pleasant to talk about, but (laughs) incredibly fruitful. um, Incredibly fruitful and. I was really blessed um, because I had done a couple of eight days uh, in the years leading up to my 30 day. Mm-hmm. And whenever I did an eight day, week one just didn't really bear a lot of fruit for me. And I had I was kind of disappointed about that. But God really surprised me on the 30 day and week one was really fruitful. So in week one, the whole purpose is to uh, meditate on the reality of sin in the world Uh, because of the fall of both the angels and of um, Adam, and then to meditate on what happens if we stay in that condition without Jesus, without a Savior, the reality of hell. So in one meditation, you're literally imagining hell by what does it smell like? Uh, What does it feel like? What does it look like? He says to imagine the breadth, the length, the height of hell. And you can you can refer to scripture, like I believe it's Revelation 20 or 21 that talks about like the, the lake of fire, right? And so as you are led by the Holy Spirit to imagine these things and to feel, to feel the flame around you, right? To let it become the reality that it is. It's a reality, but so much of the time it just it's just an idea, but by for an hour, you know, <laughs> imagining this, it becomes real. And again, you're asking for grace in this first week to have a sorrow for your sin, even tears. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What are you mourning? The reality that I'm a sinner. And so it was one of the greatest weeks for me because it was a grace. And God showed me throughout the week <laughs> how yucky sin is, specifically <laughs> my own sin. And I can remember one meditation in particular where the Lord was just taking me back to different memories from the year previous where I was studying at the seminary. And he was just showing me, do you see all the pride in your heart um, when you're relating with these seminarians? And <laughs> I started to cry because I was like, that's that's gross and, and a poison <laughs> and I'm sorry and <laughs> Lord, help me. <laughs> help me i'm i'm helpless without you and then even like in week two he was tying in some of the similar themes as i continued 
but I recognize that I need him. And this is our ontological disposition that we need to remain in all the time. You know, as God said to St. Catherine of Siena, I am he who is, and you are she who is not. (laughs) The idea that without God, who is just constantly holding us in existence even, we're nothing. Um, And so seeing the state of my sin in week one, um, I realized, wow, God has done so much for me in becoming flesh, and, and I really need him. Now, are there other ways in the the week that you enter in more deeply to that reality of sin? Yes. Uh, St. Ignatius will prescribe a recommendation that, you know, in your room, you close all the window shades to not let in sunlight, which is so difficult. We love the sun. Um, And by doing that, you're kind of depriving yourself. You're almost fasting from... Um, the gift of of light and sun, and you you are trying to bring about a disposition of sadness and mourning. That Jesus is the light of the world. Without Him, um, I'm in darkness, and so I I I want to feel as much as I can in my senses the reality of what my life will be without repentance and belief in Jesus. So that's just one example. So that's week one, sin. What about week two? What's week two? Yeah, and so after meditating on sin and the reality of hell, you go into week two, which is essentially everything from Jesus' life, starting with uh, mostly essentially the annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Mary, all the way through Jesus' public life up until his entry in Jerusalem um, in the beginning of his passion, which will begin week three. And I just think weeks one and two are so interconnected because entering into the life of Jesus looks so, so entirely different when you realize how much you need Jesus. When you realize what you're bound to and what you're destined for without Jesus, you yearn for him. And I remember going through my week two meditations and talking to these random people in Israel that are yearning for this Messiah. And I've always heard this, but I never really understood it until I meditated on week one and I realized I need the Messiah too. I need to be saved. I am totally lost. I have no hope whatsoever without Jesus. And so week one and week two really went well together. So in week two, you meditate everything from Jesus's childhood, as I said, through his public life. And I think the reason I loved week two so much is it filled in so many blank spots and things that I didn't know about Jesus's life or things that just aren't in scripture. And so I remember in my meditations being a little child and playing with Jesus and running around the Sea of Galilee um, and building a boat with him and Joseph at one point Hmm. um, because we don't know what it's like with Jesus as a child because there's not much on him. Uh, But Jesus was a child. He spent 30 years before he began his ministry. And so I was able to enter into that life. Uh, And specifically, I think with St. Joseph, he was probably, um, I was probably closest to him during week two. And Mary actually told me at one point that her and Jesus were stepping back so I could grow close to Joseph Hmm. because we have so little on him from scripture. Uh, But after seeing uh, the person that he is and how people respected him and loved him and how he was such a masculine figure of someone who protected and cared for his family, but had such a deeply prayerful and humble life, but was also so joyful and lighthearted. I have an entirely new perspective of St. Joseph and he's not just someone I know that had an important role or I hear stories about, but he's someone I actually have a relationship now. He's like my adopted father in some sense who takes care of me whenever I pray to him. Um, so a lot of week two is spending a lot of time with the Holy Family and then spending time with Jesus on mission. Yeah, I think one of the meditations I really liked in week two 
was going to Jerusalem with the Holy Family for Passover and then the finding of Jesus in the temple, which happened uh, shortly after that. And it was so interesting being at the Passover and recognizing whenever they were saying the prayers, I remember just looking into Jesus' eyes and realizing this isn't just the 12-year-old Jesus. This is the eternal God who created the Passover, who split the Red Sea. And I could see in Jesus' eyes that he remembered splitting the Red Sea. I could see him looking at the lamb being slain, and I could see that he knew what was going to happen in the future. I remember at one point he turned to me and he says, the lamb dies so we don't have to. Hmm. And I remember looking at him and thinking, that's what's going to happen to you, and you know it. And you're seeing this as a foreshadowing of your own death. Um, And then actually we started going back towards Jerusalem, and I was having a conversation with Mary and Joseph And then there was the anxiety of Jesus being lost. And so we went back and as we were going back, I kind of knew where he was at, but I didn't tell Mary and Joseph, which (laughs) they were probably pretty upset about. Um, But I went straight to the temple and I just remember seeing Jesus with such a heart of a shepherd and he was defending his people. He was so angry at the Pharisees and so angry at the chief priests and the scribes and the elders because he knew they were misguiding the people. And so I remember him as this innocent 12 year old angrily and really with a lot of fire defending the people and questioning the Pharisees. I remember him looking at them when they would describe certain laws and saying, where is that in the Torah? He's saying, you want clean hands so that I can eat my food. I want clean hearts to worship God. And I remember him defending people as this little kid. Hmm. And I just saw his heart, the heart of a shepherd, the heart of God from all eternity in that, Uh, which again, just made me think more and more about Who was Jesus as a child? What did he know? How did he actually enter into the life he began to live that we see in the scriptures? So if I could ask a question at this point, it sounds like in your meditations, you and Brother Thomas, you can speak to this as well, but it sounds like you're not like an omnipotent narrator kind of standing back watching. You're a character in the scene participating. Is that correct? Yeah, and so this was something that was revolutionary for me because I, d- I really didn't do any exercises except for a couple days before my 30-day. So I had no idea what I was doing. And I had to realize that this wasn't just something that I was watching kind of in from a God's eye view to understand the Bible better or to remember the stories, but I was actually entering into it to enter into a relationship with Jesus. So there was times I was one of the apostles and I was traveling with Jesus and preaching with Jesus and healing with Jesus There was times I was some random kid with the Holy Family that they were kind of taking care of for a time. So you enter into different parts of the story, which really allows you to see the gospel from so many different perspectives, which is really helpful. So we've talked about week one and week two. Week one being about sin and about the loss of Jesus. Week two being about kind of the gaining of Jesus and the the life of Jesus, the public ministry of Jesus. What's the third week? can take this. So the third week was really simply the passion of Jesus. So it's everything from the entry into Jerusalem to Jesus' preaching and all the tension in Jerusalem that was happening to the Last Supper on Holy Thursday to Good Friday to the actual passion and then to uh, the burial in the tomb of Jesus up until the resurrection, which would be the next week. And so for myself personally, this was actually my favorite week and it was probably the most intimate and the closest I was to Jesus. It was also the most I've ever cried in a single week. Hmm. Um, Which again, it just connects so well to week one and week two because I'm such a close friend to Jesus after spending a week with him throughout his life. 
And so I'm trying to defend Jesus. I'm anxious for Jesus when people are trying to kill him. And whenever I see him on the cross, he's not just my savior dying on the cross. He's my best friend on the cross that I see. He's a brother that I know. He's someone I've been with since childhood and I have all these memories with. And so there's a lot of sorrow from knowing Jesus so well and really having this close relationship. But also from week one even, there's so much sorrow because you realize he's doing this for me. He's doing this solely because I need it, because I have no hope without it. And you kind of realize as well in a real way that I did this to him, Hmm. that I'm crucifying him. And that becomes something after meditating on hell and sin so much that really becomes a reality. And so I think one of my favorite meditations was probably carrying the cross. Uh, I was the disciple John and I was walking with Mary and I was watching Jesus carry the cross. And I remember the door opening up from the palace and Jesus coming out bloodied with a crown of thorns on his head, um, being, yeah, just thrown around uh, by the soldiers and being forced to carry this large cross of wood. Um, But I just remember specifically two moments that I'll never forget. One is uh, the first time Jesus fell down after being struck by a soldier. And I remember him looking up to Golgotha to where the cross would go with a face of such determination that I've never seen in my life before. I just kind of saw this look on his face and I knew his thoughts of, I'm going to get there and I'm going to save my people and you will have to kill me in order to stop me. And there was so much determination. And I remember Jesus falling the second time again and he was so weak and his body was so broken. But I remember him looking over at Mary, his mother, and getting so much strength simply from locking eyes with her. Mm. And when he turned away, Mary looked at me and said, if I can't suffer for him, I'm going to suffer with him. Mm. And I just never realized how much strength Mary gave him as he carried the cross. And then week three ends, does it end with the crucifixion? Does it end with the burial of Jesus? Like, where does week three stop? Week three ends with placing Jesus in the tomb and basically the tomb being rolled shut. And so you kind of have that Holy Saturday feeling Mm -hmm. of what just happened, uh, what's going to happen, kind of this dread and this anguish coming over you that everything has been lost and everything has been ruined. Mm. Um, And you kind of allow yourself to sit in that for a time, just like the apostles had to. Okay. So week one is about sin. Week two is about the public ministry and life of Jesus. Week three is about the passion. And Brother Thomas, you get the pleasure of talking about week four. Week four is about glory, Ed. (laughs) Week four is about Jesus winning. Um, It's so glorious. So yeah, week four comprises uh, or is comprised of all the meditations of the Easter season. And I think you're so ready for it after (laughs) three Mm -hmm. weeks of spiritual exercises. You're ready for it precisely because God has been preparing it for you from all eternity. It's what we're made for. Jesus is victorious and you've in a sense made it too to this fourth week. So you're going to meditate on Jesus rising from the dead, his glorious ascension into heaven, but also all the glorious mysteries in between that, um, like John 20 and 21 are where Jesus um, is on the Sea of Galilee with the apostles, and there's the great profession of love of St. Peter to Jesus, um, etc. But one one of the unique uh, exercises that St. Ignatius has um, in the fourth week is what's called the contemplation of the love of God. And this is where you are 
being able to consider heaven. Mm. So where you considered hell in week one, now you're considering heaven. Mm. You're imagining the heavenly court. I mean, you, you, you walk in and you see all your favorite saints there <laughs> and they're worshiping God and you're with them and you see the lamb on his throne and you see the father and it's, it's, it's glorious and there's no other way to describe it. Furthermore, you get to meditate and reflect on all the gifts that God has given to you in your life. Um, which also brings about a humility, not just, you know, I'm a sinner, but wow, God has been loving me in every single detail. And so in this contemplation to attain the love of God, you're like, wow, I really love God because he's really loved me. Mm-hmm. We love him because he's first loved us, as St. John says in First John 4. So that's the fourth week. Beautiful. So it it ends with the the resurrection. It ends with contemplating the love of God and I love how you drew the correlation between you start off mm. meditating on hell, you finish meditating on heaven. Mm. So, because that's essentially the the whole life of Christ, taking mm. us from hell, yes. taking us to heaven. So how real are these experiences for you in prayer? I, the reason I'm asking is because I think that sometimes when people hear about this, they get confused about the exercises with this perception that there's some sort of like mystical teleportation-ish vision that you experience. Can you explain how the experience can both be profound, real, intimate, etc., while at the same time being something that that is happening through the use of your imagination that you're controlling? Yeah, I don't think I ever teleported. If I did, I didn't realize it. Um, whenever I woke up from my visions and my levitation, I was always in the chapel still. So, um, But there is something real where I think it goes so far beyond just the imagination, where I think I went into the exercises thinking, I'm going to think about Jesus for four weeks, for 30 days. Um, but again, if the saints are real people, they can actually come to me and talk to me. And if the Holy Spirit's real and grace is real, he can in some sense show me a glimpse of the glory of heaven and show me the life of Jesus. And while I'm remaining in the chapel, I'm somehow mystically entering into his actual life. And so I feel as if now I don't just know, you know, thoughts about Jesus that make me feel good, but I actually know something of Jesus's childhood and I know him better as a person. So it's so much more than just reflecting or using your imagination. Hmm. That makes total sense because I think, on one hand, we have to acknowledge that you are using your imagination, you're employing your imagination, but at the other sense, sense, at the very beginning of your meditation, you're essentially giving all of that to the Lord and asking him to use it. Yeah, and I think in general, I just think that's where prayer takes a turn for every Christian whenever they become serious about their faith, hmm. where... You know, it's one thing of prayer to say, I'm just going to think about Jesus or I'm just going to say these words. It's another thing when you realize that Jesus can actually speak to me right now. The real person of Jesus can Mm. speak to me. He can actually, in a sense, lift my soul and my senses to heaven. Mm. And I can actually enter into a real relationship with him. I can enter into the mass and it's really heaven on earth. Not just in an imaginative way, but something far beyond that. So on average, you guys were doing four to five holy hours a day. Let's see, 30 times 4 is 120. If you did 5, that's 150 holy hours. Mm. Is that right? You're a mathematician. That's right. So was that exhausting? I mean, <laughs> did did it get old? Did you go through seasons where it was easy, seasons where it was hard? Could you speak to that in prayer? Sure. 
I would make a distinction. You know, I remember my first eight day, which is essentially the 30 day, but only eight days of it. And the first eight day was very, very difficult for me. So brother Andrew, I don't know if it was like really, really difficult for you in the 30 day, but I had like gotten some practice. This was, I had done four eight days. So this is the fifth time I was doing the exercises. So it's kind of like mentally prepared, physically prepared. I'd been trained, so to speak. And so for me, I remember I got to like the eighth day and I'm like, oh, that's like an eight day. I guess I can keep like, I, I can keep going. It wasn't as hard as I was expecting, but I was coming at, at it at a different, you know, in a different, at a different time. So I wouldn't say that for me, it was all that challenging to keep going. There are times you're like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, but then there's a lot of grace there as well to help you. Anything you want to add? Yeah, I struggled. It was it was a lot. <laughs> I remember getting about nine days in and thinking, I am not even a third of the way through. How the heck am I going to finish this? And I don't think I ever actually considered running away, uh, mm. but I wanted to get out of Niswa. I was tired of it in some ways. And I think it's in those moments where Jesus just gives you a very blessed holy hour where you feel enough consolation to kind of be like, ga- it's kind of like gas in an engine where it just keeps you going. Mm-hmm. So there were times I didn't want to leave because it was so profound. But yeah, in reality, there were some times where it was just exhausting and hard and I really didn't want to be there. And it was like, I just did a holy hour. It can't be time for another one. Give me at least two more hours. Um, But you go into it and you do it and Jesus blesses it. So we've talked about the weeks. We've talked about what it's like. Now I want to talk about what it's like to leave the 30-day because I imagine there has to be a somewhat difficult transition switching from silence and solitude, total time with Jesus to entering back into just normal life. What's that like? Is it hard? Did you find it difficult? Did you find it challenging? For me, it it was a little bit challenging because I had gotten used to living my life in the context of silence for 30 days. And so um, also praying four or five times a day. And so reducing down again to what the servants normally do is one hour. I kind of missed that time with the Lord. And then part of our formation is right after we take the, do the 30 day, we go to Israel. And so where we meditated in the life of Jesus and our prayer, now we get to walk in the actual places where he walked, walked in the places that we just meditated on. And so I can remember like at times being like, I, I kind of want to go back to the chapel and pray. I mean, I loved this stuff. It was, it was amazing to be in Israel, but at times, at times I was like, this is a little too much noise, you know, but I think this is true of like any retreat, like a high school student, you know, who goes on a retreat really encounters the Lord. They're like, everything's going to be perfect now. You know, I know God. And, and, and then they get back to reality, so to speak. Um, and things are hard again, you know, life, life is real. Life, life can be difficult. And so I think it is helpful to know that, you know, after a 30 day, things aren't perfect. I'm not yet completely transformed, but at the same time, you've got a really good running start. I mean, you're not alone anymore. You know that the spirit is with you. And so to help with that, as with like coming off of any retreat, just keep praying, like Mm. do what you were doing when you were encountering the Lord in a profound way. Awesome. Last question. What was the greatest fruit from your silent 30-day spiritual exercises? 
Yeah, that's a really tough question, Ed. I still ponder a lot of my uh, meditations and I still go back to them when I read scripture a lot. And so I think a lot of the fruit is still to be seen. But I think immediately the first thing that comes to mind is just the fact that Jesus becomes a real person. First of all, when you spend a whole 30 days with him, several hours a day. But also Aquinas talks about how we learn through the senses and we know through the senses. And so it's one thing to think a lot about Jesus and just to talk to him. It's another thing when I'm using my senses with my imagination, which is the gift of the exercises. And so now I have all these memories of Jesus. I remember walking in the heat and having really dusty feet coming back from Egypt. But I remember the joy on his face and the jubilation. I remember hearing the nails go into the boat that I was building with Joseph and Jesus. I remember the joy of being at the wedding at Cana together. And I remember drinking wine with Jesus. I remember sitting by a campfire and smelling the smoke um, as Jesus taught us and prepared us for mission. I remember... When Jesus left John the Baptist after being baptized, I was watching him and he just comes up to me soaking wet and embraces me and gives me this giant hug um, with so much joy and so much life. And so I just think that my relationship with Jesus, I see him as a real person now and I see him as a real friend and almost like a brother that actually is close to me because he's allowed me to enter into his life. So I think the fruit, biggest fruit for me is simply seeing Jesus in a more, much more real way now um, whenever I pray. I love that you say that, Brother Andrew, um, because you know him. And I think one of the greatest fruits is a greater knowledge um, that's not just intellectual, but a real heart knowledge, a, a knowledge of love that is communicated. And I remember like the 30th day, right before we left our retreat center, I went into the chapel and just sat down and I didn't say anything, but I was like, wow. Jesus, I know that you're here. I know that you love me and you're so real. Um, and, and, and I know that you abide in me and I now abide in you. And so I would say of the many graces, one of them is just the grace and fruit of abiding in God's love, a confidence of knowing the person. It's like if you went on 150 dates with your wife, you know, in 30 days, you would know her so well. In a similar way, we know, like Brother Andrew said, our best friend. And so one of the greatest fruits is knowing Jesus. And this is what our Lord says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. And so we begin to live heaven now in knowing him in an intimate way. All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, sitting down and sharing with me. This has really been a great joy to hear about your experience of the 30 day and uh, just inspirational. Any, anything you guys want to add? Yeah. Ed, I would just add that uh, we've talked about so many things um, in this hour and perhaps the Holy Spirit has been kind of nudging you with something as we've been talking, whatever it is, like bring that to prayer. Maybe it's, hey, you should do a 30-day. <laughs> Talk to the Lord about that. Or maybe it's just, how do I grow in prayer? Talk to the Lord about that. And whatever it is that the Lord has put on your heart as you've been listening to this, I would invite you just to, to pray about that. Yeah, I would just say as great as the 30-day is, the 30-day simply is prayer with Jesus Christ. And mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is everywhere, specifically in your closest chapel. So even if you can't make a 30-day, you don't need to take the 30-day to become a great saint. Go to your chapel and pray and commit to praying for an hour every single day. Um, I think the world needs so many more common saints that aren't living religious life necessarily and don't have the time for this, uh, but that are still so dedicated to Jesus in the everyday life. 
So I just want to say that the aspirations for holiness, the desire to be united to Jesus, shouldn't just be for religious, shouldn't just be for people who have gone on 30 days. Go to the chapel and tell Jesus to give you that desire and then to live that because we really need that in the world. Amen. Well, thank you to both of you. Uh, Brother Thomas, you mentioned that after the 30-day, you, as a servant of Christ Jesus, typically go to Israel, which is appropriate because our next podcast will feature Brother Andrew, who will be back to share about his experience of the Holy Land formation exercise that he undertook right after the 30-day. We're also going to be joined by Father Paul and three uh, guests, the first ever non-servant guests on the podcast. It's going to be awesome. It will. Well, thank you to both of you. As always, you can learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, and you can find podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks from the servants at scjesus.org. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed.